This is Corolla Digital. Hello, my little chocolate-covered pretzels. It's me, Allison. Welcome to another exciting episode. Before the show starts, we have time to have a quick chat. First of all, what you don't know is that I'm sitting across from Gary, and he is dressed in a very snazzy fashion. I'm pretty sure because he just came from a Mother's Day brunch. Yes? Yeah, it was, uh, yeah, yeah. Where'd you guys go? We were at my sister's house. Oh, nice. There was a dress code at your sister's, or you just felt like you'd dress up for mom? You'd dress up for mom. You clean up well, Gary. Oh, thank you. That's very nice of you. All right. I think we have time for an iTunes comment of the week. Allison wants your iTunes comments. Allison wants them. Yes, she does. Please leave her some iTunes comments. And don't forget to click five stars. I also need to stop prefacing every sentence with, I think we have time for. I just want you guys to know if you heard it, that I noticed it as well. And it's bothering me too. Okay. All right, this week's iTunes comment of the week comes from Windricksville, and it is titled, That New Best Friend Feeling. Imagine yourself at a party. Your friends were supposed to meet you there, but after 45 minutes of awkward mingling and a few desperate texts to your no-show friends, you realize you're on your own. But you can do this. Other people do this, right? Yes. So you do your best to appear like a normal person who is having a good time, but you were in hell. You sit down on the couch and wonder if the attractive girl sitting next to you has ever felt this weird and out of place. She has, if you're talking about me. And that's when she leans over and says something so disarmingly funny and uh, conspiratorial conspiratorial that you forget your anxiety. It's as if I wrote the comment myself, and I'd like to point out, I swear to God I did not, but I did read it ahead of time. (laughs) That you forget your anxieties in an instant. Instant. She's hilarious. She's warm. She's seeming, she seems genuinely interested in you. You could easily fall in love with this girl. Well, thank you. <laughs> now that I've raised the specter that possibly I did write the comment, it's even funnier. But I swear to God I didn't. <laughs> Carry on then, won't you? I, I, I will attest that these are screenshots that I yeah. doubt you created an iTunes. Comment. Uh, an I, iTunes account named Windricksville. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not going to put anything past you. Uh, I didn't. Her charming buddy Gary appears and joins in the conversation. It feels so natural, like you've known them for years. You can't believe that a few hours ago you wanted to bail on this party, and now you're talking to two such awesome people. The party winds down, but you go to an all-night restaurant to get some pancakes and keep the conversation going. You know you'll be calling them tomorrow. You know you've just made two new best friends. And this is what Allison Rosen is your new best friend makes me feel like every time I listen to it. A-R-I-Y-N-B-F, thank you for being my friend. I and love there's a heart emoticon. Oh, I love that. I love that you feel that way. I love that we went to a diner. Um, just text the following day. No need to actually call on the phone, you know. But I'm just saying I love that. So thank you for the comment. And if you'd like your comment to be iTunes Comment of the Week, just send in an iTunes comment. Uh, this episode features Ganna, features Anna David who is a writer and, well, you'll see, the very beginning of the episode, we talk about how to describe her best. But I've known her for a long time. She's an old friend of mine. And there's some reminiscing, which, I don't want to step on it too much. But they're, okay, you have to listen to the episode. But at times, it may be like when you're hanging out with two people and they are talking about old times, perhaps ones where you weren't there and you're thinking, yeah, but I wasn't there. So I don't care, but I think you will care. But I'm just saying there, there's there's a little more reminiscing in this one than um, in the episodes where it's someone that I don't know and I don't have anything to reminisce with them about. Um, you know what I'm saying? I think we have time to figure out if you do. <laughs> just kidding. I did it. On, they did that on purpose, you guys. 
Um, and one more thing about this episode, which I just have to tell you now, which is in the episode we talk about test driving cars and cars and all this stuff. And I realized, okay, so over the weekend, I test drove more cars or test drove some cars. And I realized that the feeling that I think I really like is a V8, which is the complete opposite of what I feel like I should get, which would be a hybrid. So I never knew that I was such a... Um, what are you test driving with a V8 in it? Well, I, I forget if I said it on this episode or not, but I had um, I experienced Farfignugan many, many years ago when I was loaned a Mercedes CLK 550 for the weekend for a story. And I fell in... Like, I had my relationship with that car verged on sexual. I fucking loved that car. I assumed it was just because I'm used to driving old, shitty cars. And I figured I would find that feeling in, like, any comparable new car. But I'm only finding that feeling pretty much in that car. And then I found out that it was a V8. And I thought, wow, is that is it the horsepower? Is it all that gas-guzzling, bad-for-the-environment-and-your-pocketbook horsepower that I like? I don't know. Is huh. it? I don't know. It's weird because I never thought that that would be something that I want or like. But now I don't know what to do. Because like I said, I feel like I really should be considering a hybrid because it's so much more economical. I don't know. I don't know that you can get that feeling, though, in a hybrid or even in a V4. Probably in a V6. But it's, it's more not expensive. Called a, it's not called a V4. Oh, what is it called? Four-cylinder? Four-cylinder. Why don't they call it eight-cylinder then? They do. That works, too. But for some reason, you don't use V4. It, oh. just, it just doesn't work. <laughs> but I don't know. I mean, Well, I think it's clear I don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm just glad that you're looking. Yeah, that's good. Thank you. Yeah, I, I'm getting out there and uh, discovering that. And it sucks. It's not pleasant. No, buying a new car is terrible. Yeah, there's a lot of because I I don't trust the people that um I don't trust the dealers. I mean I do, like I do, but I also don't. The whole thing is just not a pleasant experience. No, it sucks, and you shouldn't trust anybody. Yeah. But you need a new car, so congratulations. Yes. I'm glad that you're trying. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I need to tell you guys about our good friends over at Go to My PC. Imagine you are stuck somewhere. Perhaps you're stuck, as I was recently, at a car dealership, and you're thinking, Hi, I'm here. I want to spend money. Why is it taking 45 minutes? Don't you guys want to sell cars? Why is it taking 45 minutes for someone to realize that I'm standing here? Am I invisible? What's going on? And then you think... I'm wasting all this time. I could be doing some work. I could be getting to something that's on my computer. However, I can't get to it here. This car dealership, it's not specifically a car dealership situation. I'm just saying plenty of times you're stu- you could be stuck at the airport. You could be stuck at the airport and you could be thinking, I want to show someone pictures of my new puppy or what have you. And they're on my computer at home. You could be at home and you want to show someone something that's on your computer at the office. With Go to My PC, you can get to your office computer or your home computer from wherever you are using your mobile device. It is awesome and it is efficient and it just cuts down on the frustration of being far away from the thing that you want to get to. When Whether it's something you want to work on or something you want to show someone, you can access your entire office computer from your mobile device. So you can be productive while you're waiting. Turns any iPad, iPhone, Android, or Kindle Fire into your computer. And you can edit or send any file, just like you're sitting at your desk. Try Go to My PC free today with a special 45-day free trial just for my listeners. That's you guys. Visit GoToMyPC.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code Allison. Then download the free app to your mobile device. That's GoToMyPC.com, Try It Free, click on the Try It Free, and enter the promo code Allison. All right, you guys, here is the episode, but... 
first, I also need to tell you that we have an exciting announcement, which is finally, after much um, talking about making it happen, we have made the Hey, Go Fuck Yourself. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Ringtone, a reality. You can now get that as a ringtone in the iTunes store. Just search Hey, Go Fuck Yourself. Right? That's how that, that's what they should. Now, yeah. if they search other things, will it come up or? I'm sure there's other things you could search that will come up. Yeah. But, but why not just search Hey, Go Fuck Yourself? It's the easiest way to get it. Um, and then when it rings, it'll be like a secret um, sign that's not so secret that lets people around you know that you all listen to Alison Rosen as your new best friend. Or it doesn't even even have to be membership in the exclusive club that we're all in. It could just be a fun ringtone. I'm going to cough now. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else I need to tell them? I think that is it. I love you guys. Here's the episode. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I'm here with my old friend, Anna David. It is very exciting. She's author, novelist, um, editor, TV personality, media personality. How, how do you describe yourself normally? And don't you hate that question? I do. I do. I mean, I don't hate that question. I, my, I'm my favorite topic, so I actually <laughs> love that question. Um, but I think I just say I'm a writer and I do other stuff. Oh, that's good. It's easy, right? Then do people say like, oh, like what? Because I always, whenever people ask me that question, I'm like, Ugh. I know. That's my attitude. <laughs> I know. It's really weird. I mean, because especially living in L.A. where, you know, everyone who bags your groceries is like, I'm a writer, mm-hmm. you know. And I notice that when you say I'm a writer, people sort of go, uh-huh. And then they go, what do you write? And I do, did notice a huge change when I started writing books because then I go mostly books. And then you see their eyes kind of like they suddenly have respect for you. And they're like, oh, really? You think because then it's like, oh, you're a real writer? Yes. I think that that is true. Okay. I actually I, – I wanted to ask you something, which I don't know that we've ever even talked about this. You write fiction as well as nonfiction. I do. But I don't know that many people who write fiction. And I – I think I've written a few short stories, and they were always, like, very heavily autobiographical. Right. What drove you to try fiction? Well, I actually majored in creative writing in college. And I majored in creative writing because I was kind of, like, not – I would not call myself a serious student back (laughs) in the day. And it was so easy-sounding. I was like, wait, I can do English literature or creative writing where I just basically will write a short story and that will serve as my final, you know, project. Mm-hmm. And so I did it. So I actually technically was trained <laughs> as like a fiction writer, but I had no intention of using it. And when I got the idea to write a book, so basically I was I was writing for magazines, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, our careers, like we were kind of both on similar paths at somewhat different times and then we each kind of veered in, in right. other directions. But so I was just I was just a magazine person. And then a girl I knew wrote a novel. 
And I thought, my God, if she could do that, I, I could do that. And that was as little information as I had. I didn't know about structure. I didn't know anything. I've always been a big reader. Do you say who this person was who wrote the novel? You know what? I, ne- I never say because um, the truth is I was incredibly jealous of this girl. And the reason that I was motivated, I was motivated by that jealousy because I thought, if she could do it, I could. Oh, this is perfect because we have a new segment that we don't do that often but that I've been wanting to do. It's called, well, hooray for you because <laughs> this actually I was, I was hoping it could come up on this show because I know that something that you and I have in common and that we, I think, talked about a lot in New York is this professional jealousy thing because uh, you're so mired in that competition. Yes. So, well, hooray for you is like, well, hooray for you. But here's a song. I see that you've done something that I really want to do. Well, hooray for you. I sit here getting screwed, hooray for you. I am so very happy that this fortune came your way. I didn't mean to say you don't deserve to have your day. However, you'll forgive me if I feel compelled to say, hooray for you. I love that. I love that. Thank you. Well, thanks to Trap Dog who made the song. But I love that you can just come up, like you can just basically reference something and a song will play. (laughs) That is so cool. pretty nice. I wish life could be like that. I know, right? So you felt felt motivated and jealous. Yes, but I also want to talk about your song and how excellent that is and how much I've been focused on that lately. I mean, you know, because we have talked about it, just how competitive I am. And I think that has to do with how... I was raised. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and I do think like, I don't know, Eastern European Jewish families are just like, someone else got it. You better go get it is sort of what I was reared on. Was that the message from your parents? Yes. Okay. Because see, for me, I feel like it was not explicit and yet it's in me too. So it must have been in there. But you see, we're your- well, I think it's societal for sure. And I think it's very prevalent in New York and LA, like mm-hmm. cities, you know, that we both have lived in. But I, you know, and and I just I'm so conditioned. I'm so my brain nat- naturally believes that someone else gets something I want, and not only is that does that mean I'll never get it, but that they're automatically happy. Mm-hmm. Like I decide that part too, and um, and it's like I I actually just tweeted the other day. Like I think I've realized there's no reason to be jealous of anyone anytime, and it's like. You know, it's just I I basically my brain will fill in facts like they got this and that means I won't and they're happy and I'm not. And none of it's really based in anything but just information that someone got something I want. Yeah. So I know so many assumptions that happen kind of automatically before you're even you're not even aware that you're jumping to all these conclusions. And yet there's probably all these things that you have that other people want. And yet and you know that while you're proud of them, it didn't make you all of a sudden happy. Exactly. Exactly. And it's there's this book waiting for happiness, stumbling upon happiness. One of those Daniel Goldman or Goldman, like one of those smart Jew psychiatrists, you know, Harvard (laughs) people wrote it. And basically it was saying that the reason we're so bad at predicting happiness, what's going to make us happy is we hear things and our brains fill in information and we don't understand that our brain is filling in the information. We actually believe it's fact. And that's what my brain has like done about so many accomplishments. And it's like life is learning to undo that. Mm -hmm. But so what does, because this is actually something that we've talked about, Gary and I have talked about, is happiness something, is happiness a goal worth pursuing? I, I don't know that you can even pursue – I think you can you pursue can't. satisfaction. You can't. 
I mean, I, there's actually this great poem that I weirdly know. This is it's <laughs> Shit, it, well, you must share then. Okay, it's by this poet named Stephen Dunn, who I studied in college during, like, the one class apparently I paid attention to. <laughs> and he has this poem, it's, and it says, Happiness, a place you must dare not enter with hopes of staying. Quicksand in the marshes and all the roads leading to a path that doesn't exist. But there it is, as promised, with its perfect bridge above its cr- the crocodiles and its doors forever open. Who am I? Wow. But my but I always I always loved it because it it is it's right there. Yeah. Or it's or then it's right behind you. Yeah, and like you can't really reach it, but Mm-mm. it's right there. It's like one of the most elusive things. Yeah. I think it's like a relationship or so I hear. Like when you're not <laughs> looking for it, there it is. Yeah. Do you have have there been moments of happiness in your life where in No. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> where where in the moment you realized you were happy and you were able to be in the moment? Yes. It is hard, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, that's – yeah, that's just so – that's like something out of um, the seminal movie of my uh, 20-somethings, which was the one – oh, my God, with Monona Ryder and Ben Stiller. Reality Bites. Reality Bites, um, where, where she says – you know, anyway – um, no, I, no, no. If you're going to quote Reality Bites, quote Reality Bites. Well, well, the thing is, I don't know the exact quote, but basically, it's when they're it's before the Peter Frampton song plays, and they're sitting in his car, and she's like, he's like, oh, do you ever know that moment? You know those moments where you suddenly realize you're really happy, and then she's got the big gulp, and she goes, like now, in this really cute <laughs> Winona way, and then they make out. Um, yeah, I think that I think that they they do happen. I wish they happened more often. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think the human psyche is, um, especially maybe my human psyche, <laughs> is, you know, sort of tuned into when things are going wrong yeah. more than when things are going right. So you you were saying that you were raised to feel like if someone else has something, you have to go get that. Yes. Um, how much was that overt? Like, what were your parents like? I think it was pretty overt. Um, and... You know, it was it was just sort of this this just assumption that basically you had to be the very best at whatever you did. And it's like if you weren't, you didn't deserve to exist. I mean, it sounds really harsh, but that really was the sort of that was the air that I was breathing. And it came from my dad's dad a lot. I had a lot of exposure to this like really kind of awful grandfather. Mm -hmm. And and so that's what I grew up believing. Um. So much pressure. So much pressure, especially because, you know, before I got sober, I was such a sort of like screw up and I was a bad student. My brother was like the really smart one who went to Harvard and, you know, got his PhD and all these things. How much older than you? He's uh, two and a half years older. Mm-hmm. So you you were in his shadow. Yes, very, very much. And at what you know, I'm sure we've talked about this, but we certainly haven't talked about it on this podcast. No. At what age did you start dabbling in uh, alcohol and drugs? I started um, – my the first time I ever had a drink, I was 12. And um, it was my friend's mother's liquor cabinet, and we sort of took vodka and then poured the water in. Oh, you're nodding. Did you do this too? Oh, um, not at 12. But, yeah, the first couple times that I had a drink, I, I had a soda can, and I poured out half of it and filled up the other half with vodka. So, so you know, yeah, yeah. So, so that was when I first drank, and then I and then I drank throughout high school. But I don't think I thought I certainly didn't think it was alcoholic or anything until, I mean, long after college when I was doing a lot of drugs. Mm-hmm. But you were a pretty 
or is it correct that you are a pretty high functioning substance person? Yes and no. I mean, I was high functioning in that I graduated from college, but I was not high functioning. And and I actually was employed at the very end, mm-hmm. but that had a lot more to do with the fact that there was like an internet boom and, you know, I had writing skills and editing experience. So so I was wholly unemployable, but I was employed <laughs> right. because of right. that. Um, but I was really not functioning at all. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get sober? Mm. I basically thought that getting sober sounded like the worst thing on earth. I had been taken to meetings. I thought they looked horrible and like the end of life. And like, So were people in your life trying to – like were they doing interventions? Or? Nobody loved me enough to do an intervention. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> no, there was no intervention done, um, but I, I decided on my own. I basically had spent several years alone in my apartment doing cocaine. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was a problem and I kept trying to stop and I couldn't. And so I around found, the clock? No. I would do like I would I would get like two grams. I had a dealer that would only give me two you could only get two grams, you couldn't get one. Mm-hmm. And I would sort of be like, oh well I'm just gonna do a little bit and I'll put it away. But I couldn't stop once I had it. So I would do it until it was done. Mm-hmm. And Does then that mean nuts that does yeah. mean not sleeping, right? Well, that would be like two days, okay. basically. And then I would um, be monumentally depressed. And then I would say, I'm never doing that again. That was disgusting until the urge hit again. And so I knew that that was like not normal. And um, I, I, I thought it was all about willpower. But anyway, I, I told my family. Uh, they helped me pay for outpatient rehab. Um, and I was totally surprised when I rolled in and basically like got rules for living that like I had long been seeking. Like I said, my family rules were basically like go to Harvard, get a job where you make six figures and like sue them before they sue you. Like that, those were our family values. So suddenly. Wait, really sue them before they sue you? Even if they're a family member. Yeah. Yeah. What does that does that just mean you grew up in a really litigious household yeah. or Yeah. Okay. Where it was like not unusual for family members to be in court with other family members. Like really scary stuff mm-hmm. if you're a very sensitive person, which right. I am. Um and so I had never heard rules like, hey, if you're of service to other people, that's gonna make you feel good. Or, you know, or you know, all those resentments you have, maybe if you looked at your part in them, you wouldn't feel like such a victim. Like all I ever heard was like resent and then get revenge. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I uh, I grew up kind of in uh, with there was some vindictiveness rippling through my family as well, which I always it, like vindictiveness frightens me. I'm kind of right. the opposite. Like if anything, I have trouble handling my own anger, but it doesn't mean I don't feel it. I'm just unclear on what it is often because I just don't want to be that angry vindictive person. I feel I, that surprises me about your family. Like I feel like you're um I, I I have this idea of your family as being like just super like like kind of soft and cuddly and like Allison is like the greatest, you know. <laughs> um they that's very nice. They I mean, and if you follow my my dad on Twitter, it's certainly that there's right. that aspect. And I'm of not it. just saying that because I think they listen to every single one of your podcasts, but I do. <laughs> I think don't that know too. that they listen so much anymore. I think they they got behind, but um, there's definitely an element of that, and that was all really nice. And then there's sort of the other side of it, which was a lot of anger and a lot just a lot of yelling and a lot of um, enmeshment and just 
really like if you ever said something that upset someone, then it was a character attack as opposed to a valid feeling. Yes. Yeah. No one was really allowed valid feelings if they upset other people. That's so interesting. A lot of really a lot of emotions. You know what else? When I I listened to your episode of Paul Gilmartin's podcast, Mm -hmm. and that was I know you're supposed to be interviewing me, but the whole thing about the sort of different things you didn't know about your family, that was fascinating to me. I never knew that about you. Really? Yeah. 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 Um, Yeah. You're referring to the fact that I didn't know that I was Jewish growing up, which is, is, and people are like, how could you not know? And I also feel like, how could I not know? Because there's so many, in so many ways, it's so obvious. And yet I just believed in my parents enough that they told me something that didn't make sense. And I just believed that there must be some way that it's true because it was too upsetting to think that they could be lying to me. Right. Because I grew up in a house where such a premium was placed on being honest, that it was this like, kind of built-in mind fuck. Right. Like, we would never lie to you. And I'm like, well, they would never lie to me. Right. So, yeah. So there's that. That's so interesting. Okay, yeah. But so so back to... Okay, so you... Well, okay, let's go back to the fiction thing. Okay, so, yeah. Okay, so so that girl, whose name I will not mention, um, basically, I... um, I don't know. I just I thought about so my, my own story was I was about five years sober then, and so and so anyway, what I ended up finding in sobriety was that like life was just beginning, it wasn't ending, and that um, you know I had solutions. I basically like drinking and doing cocaine was a solution to the way I thought, mm-hmm. and I have now found new solutions through you know the program and whatnot. But um, so I thought, well, I I could tell my story, which is that you know I got sober, and then the the job I got when I got sober was being the party girl columnist for Premier Magazine. So And they didn't know, right, that no, you were sober, right? No. I mean, I'm one of these people that, like, the minute I got sober, I was, like, you know, would go, you know, somewhere and sort of be like, can I have a Diet Coke? Because I was this terrible cocaine addict, you know, and, like, <laughs> just tell everyone. So for all I know, I did tell them that, like, during right. the interview process, but they did not know. That's so funny. Sort of like the drunk person who keeps having to remind you they're drunk. You might have been the sober person that had to remind people you're sober, <laughs> but they, but you don't remember. That's so funny. I had a na- – when I lived in New York, my um, neighbor was senile, and, like, she would always be like she was like she was senile just to the slightest degree that she didn't seem senile and then she'd mm-hmm. be like so we gotta come over for a glass of wine and literally every day i'd be like well i don't drink because i'm sober and she'd be like that's great just come back for a glass of wine like i had to constantly <laughs> remind her but um yeah and so i don't know i i, I It wasn't a big, like, should I do nonfiction versus fiction? I just sort of decided to write a novel. And it was totally based on my life. Mm -hmm. But then, um, you know, I changed things for story. And then... To make it more dramatic or... Yeah. Well, and all... Yeah, because I had to. Because Mm -hmm. my life was not nearly as exciting as, you know, wasn't exciting enough, I thought, for a book. (laughs) But but the story, you know, taking elements of my life and exaggerating some and and all that um, was. And so I did that thinking I had one story to tell and that would be that. And my agent at the time said when we were going in and taking meetings with different publishers, oh, by the way, like as an aside, she's like, you know, maybe you should pitch another book because, you know, they might offer you a two-book deal. And I'm like, what? I only have one. And so on the spur of the moment, I literally thought of the idea for my second book, Mm -hmm. Bot, and I pitched that and and we sold that. So, um, and then after that, I was like, fiction's too hard. Let's just go back to nonfiction. And uh, tell people what Bot is about. Bot was um, a fictionalized version of this 
Details magazine story I did on high-class hookers. And it's basically, it's my least favorite book. In fact, Hmm. when people email me and say, I really like that book, I lose respect for them. (laughs) I really don't. I'm just, I wasn't a fan of the book when I sold it. I wasn't a fan. I rewrote it. Mm -hmm. HarperCollins was like, you don't, you know, no, we're happy with it. I'm like, I'm taking it back and rewriting it. And I'm still not happy with it. Why? I just don't think it's a very good book. I think ultimately I don't find prostitution that fascinating a topic. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of sad. Yeah. And it has a lot to do with like drug addiction and, you know, and exploitation and all things that are kind of depressing and yet not interesting. Like I could write about drug abuse forever mm-hmm. and a day. But like, I don't know. I think I just didn't care about the topic. And um, was it kind of like it was something that you were committed to doing because it was part of your contract? Yeah. Well, and in fact, I thought about giving my advance back on that and just saying, don't publish this. Wow. So that's how much your heart wasn't into it at yeah. the time. Yeah. And still, I've mm-hmm. never turned around. And I think that's my book that did the best, by the way. That's funny. Yeah. That's I, interesting. What What do you think that is? Do you think it's just people, uh, people, other people are interested in prostitution? I don't know. I don't know. Um, you know, writing is so subjective, as you know. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we can't all and, – and, and judging our own writing is m- even more difficult. Speaking of which, I loved your piece on HuffPo today. Oh, thank you. Thank are, you very much. Um, for the listeners, that is my new column that uh, has now started appearing on Huffington Post as well as, as other places. So oh, that's great. Where is, it's, else is it? Um, it? Well, it's syndicated. So I know it's in a paper in Arizona. That's and awesome. They, they don't tell me each they, – they're – the syndication company is in the process of selling it and they only periodically tell you where it is. So um, I'm waiting to just randomly run into it somewhere. But I don't, I don't know uh, at this point. So that's why I just direct people to – either the like syndication company website where it is or elsewhere. Yeah. So I feel like, come on, people, let's sell this faster. Let's yeah. It's out there. It was really, this. really funny. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. For the most part, I write about uh, – I have been writing about my puppy and my fiancé, but in that one I wrote about the bathroom scale. Yes. Th- and thank you so much. Um, although there is – there is this – just this, I'm just starting to think about like maybe I should be writing about things that are more um, controversial or because I mean this that's just sort of like a funny little funny little personal essay which is what I tend to like to write or not even a personal essay funny just thing um, but like are you driven to write about things that you know are going to start conversation? Um, no, I, I I really only think about what I what I want to write mm-hmm. um, and. You know, when I was an editor, so I was, so yeah, so fast forward, I've published four books, um, and then I was an editor at this website, The Fix. And I think when I was there, I was definitely thinking more towards like what's going to get the most traffic. Mm-hmm. I, so are you not an editor at The Fix? No. Anymore? Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Yeah, no, I haven't been there since January. But did you help launch it? The Fix is a, it's a website for sober living. Right? Yeah. We don't need to. We don't even need to. Now that I'm not there. No. It's, oh, um, I don't even know what it like is. Exa- what? Yeah. Were we talking? I don't know. I mean, we were, but I, I don't know about I, what. I have no idea what we were talking about. But no, it's um, it's a great site about addiction and recovery. And yes, I was the first employee and I was there for two years as the executive editor. Okay. Well, so now what are you doing? Well, I actually am still doing a column for them. Um, and I am doing – I'm in the process of starting a company that I 
can't say any more about. Oh, that's exciting. Terribly exciting. And vague. And vague and enigmatic and I all know. those things. Um, is it a startup? It is. I don't even know exactly what that refers to. What's, what suge- it will suggest that it's somehow based on the internet. It, it, yes. It, it has to do with the internet. Oh, and by the way, one of the people who's been helping me with it is one of the people who was like, you have to talk about me on the podcast today, James Morell. Oh no, he didn't say that. He just okay. But that um, sounds like something he might say. No, you know who said that? Richard Rushfield. Oh, many I'm men. Saying, oh, for, the, the listeners are like, okay, who? And okay, who? James Morrell is an old friend of mine who, um, for pe- people know, uh, Pop Smear magazine that was a zine way back when, and it was super funny. And then he he's an entrepreneur, yes. of sorts. Yes, uh, he also has a doctor T- or. Started and then possibly sold Dr. Tadoff. Yeah, where I got my tattoos removed. I did not know that. Yep. Did it take a, a number of uh, oh, things to God. get them removed? Yes, it was like 12 sessions. That sounds painful and long. It was painful and long. And you have to wait four months in between each session because you have to let it heal. And when you're getting it removed, you can smell your flesh burning. Yeah. Ugh. Do they do they numb it at all? They do a little numbing, yeah. How long did you have your tattoos before you decided it was a mistake? Okay, that's the truly saddest part of it all. When I was sort of bottoming out on cocaine, mm-hmm. I would wake up from one of those like two-day benders and I would be super depressed. And rather than sort of dealing, like being like, okay, I got to get sober, I got to change my life, I'd be like, I have to do something really radical and permanent. I think I'll get a cat or I think <laughs> I'll get a tattoo. Literally, that's what I did. So... I got sober. I had five tattoos and two cats, only prompted by, like, depressions after, like – and I still have the two cats, and all five tattoos have been removed. So it's a happy story, I think. It is. But so I got to rehab. I had these tattoos, these ridiculous tattoos on my arms, and everyone's like, yeah, I got my tats when I was, like, 16. And I'm like, oh, yeah, me too. Literally, <laughs> it had been, like, the week before. What were they all? Oh, so bad. One was Gemini, my sign – not like the word. It was right. the sign, the symbol for Gemini. Mm-hmm. And then this, the left side was the word courage. But you had five. Yeah. And then I, I, I can't. I can Some in unmentionable places. And then I had one on my face. You had a tattoo on your face? Not like a tear thing. <laughs> I, I <laughs> but had, still, that's such – usually people don't go for the face unless they are really – Insane. Yeah. What happened is one night this, this uh, fabulous gay guy who I was doing a lot of drugs with was doing my makeup – and I looked at him, and I was really high, and I was like, you're beautiful. He's like, no, I'm not really. I just have a tattoo of a birthmark right here, and it <laughs> makes me look really beautiful. I'm like, that's a great idea. I'm going to go get one. Yes, I did that. Okay, now I'm looking at your face trying it's to see. It's been removed. But is there any sort of scar or no, anything like that? No, not at all. It was actually tiny. It was, like, right there. That's interesting. I feel like – so would I possibly have ever seen a photo of you where you did have <laughs> a mole, though? I feel maybe. like I'm associating you a little bit with a Cindy Crawford mole at one point. Yeah, I think that maybe you've seen those photos, but I did not, in fact, still have it when we met. Should we talk right. about when we met? Yes. So we met on Red Eye. Yes. Um, and then you were still living in L.A. at the yes. time, and I was in New York. And we didn't we didn't actually meet because I was downstairs or whatever. Right. We were just on, on the same show together. Yes. Yes, and then you emailed me. I did because, and I had had I read your book at that. You point? had read Party Girl because it was sitting like you were working at Time Out. Yes, it was sitting in the right. Well, this it, 
in the discard pile. In it's the okay. free bin. <laughs> no, I know. You've already told. Like, I know, but I, did, I, did I give it a disclaimer at the time? Because now that I think about it, that sounds semi-shitty. For some reason, I was so flattered by whatever you said that I like overlooked okay. that. I mean, whatever. It was just the galley copy anyway, though. Yeah. So it wasn't like this finished book. It was, you know. Um, yeah, so it was in the free bin. That's something I, <laughs> I miss about working at a magazine is there were no. always so, so much free shit floating around. I still use promotional makeup, which makes me sound disgusting and cheap. Um, but, yeah, so I read it and, uh, and, and I loved it and I related to a lot of stuff in there. Um, yeah, and then we emailed and then we became friends and then you moved to New York. And then I was trying to figure out if the listeners know about the phase of my life where I spent – Far too much time trying to decide what couch I wanted. I, don't ah, know if, I remember it well. That's what I was going to tell. I don't know if yes. they know that specifically, but they do know about my issues with my inability to make a decision. Right. I'm, be, I'm getting better at it, though. I'm actually – I feel like real growth is happening. Gary, back me up. Uh-huh. <laughs> but so anyway, I – Dragged Anna with me I know, to sit on different couches, possibly sure more than once. I mean, it was like that's what three I three or four times. I yeah, want to say. I would. I was living in Brooklyn at the time. I would go into Manhattan and I would go down to Soho, where there was like a room and board a couple blocks away from a Crate and Barrel, and then I'd just go back and forth sitting on them. And I did this multiple times because I was freelance at the time, so I right. had the time. Right. Yeah. It's amazing that I. I must have really wanted to be friends with you that I agreed to do that. Thank you. I mean, thank you. I and I think, think I, I think you are lonely also, maybe. I think I was super lonely. <laughs> I think we were both lonely. No, I think you'd... I was super I lonely the helped. whole time I lived in New York. Yeah. I, oh, my God. Let's talk about that. Yeah. What did you expect it would be like and what was it like for you? Well, I think that, um, you know, I didn't factor in, like, moving to New York in my 30s with, like, five years of sobriety was, like, not going to be the same thing as moving there at 22 or, right. like... And so I don't know. I just found it freezing cold Mm -hmm. and windy and lonely. And, I mean, that's why I was, like, so psyched when we became friends because I found so few people I connected with. I feel like I still today have tons of friends there. And if any of them are listening, I'm not talking about you. But in general, I just didn't really connect with the people there intimately. I remember we had a conversation at Crate and Barrel sitting on the Huntleywoods couch that I later bought before I decided – I had to send it back and get it in a different color because I'm crazy. Um, I still have that couch, Gary. That's the one that Daniel's jeans have turned blue. And I'm okay with that because it's microfiber, so it'll wash off. Okay, I wish I hadn't said any of the things I said for the last 30 (laughs) seconds. I said, do you, I think I said, either do you like, like, what do you think of New York or versus LA or something like that? And you were like, wow, like, but such a good question. No one's asked me that or something. Really? You had I some think- reaction to it where you're like you, – I, I got the sense that like you, it was something that you had been thinking about. I th- I, Maybe I, I just said, are you happy? But it was something where it was like, yes, like you wanted to talk about that. Or, I sure did want to. I yeah. like still do. Um, but yeah, I was really – I was really, really um, – Lonely. I'm really glad that I did it, and I'm really glad I have all the like. I, I can go to New York for a week and see a bunch of people, but um, it was hard, mm-hmm. you know. It. What I, what I was surprised by when I first got there was just how long it takes to feel not like an outsider and to feel to have a group of friends. And I don't know that I ever even effectively did either of those. Yeah, I don't either. But it either. just really takes a fucking long time. People would tell me it takes five years. Yeah. You know, I remember- and I'm like, I don't have five years to keep this city. And it's always, 
whenever you go to a party, it's that feeling of going to a place where you don't know everyone. Like you're ne- you never walk into a room and know everyone. That was my experience, at least. Like right. like when I would come back. Um, at that point, I would come back to Orange County, and it's like I where not wherever I went, but there were multiple places I went where it's every you know I know everyone here, and I'm welcomed, and it's right. very comfortable. And in New York, you're always you're always meeting people for the first time. Which is exhausting. Yeah. I mean, I do think it's – I mean, my friend Vanessa Gregoriatis, who kind of goes between L.A. and New Mm -hmm. York, she has that there. You know, she's like, in L.A., you can never go anywhere and know everybody. So, I mean, it really is where you spent your 20s, Yeah, that's that's probably true. Um, What I always say is that I I spent so much time in New York just nervously – singularly focused on my career, comparing myself to other people, feeling freaked out. Um, whereas out here, I feel like I have a more balanced life and I can – it's easier for me to be happy out here. There's that word. Except I I still miss New York. Like there, I think I, I liked it more than right, you did. Right, um, But do – so we were talking before about that career, that professional jealousy and that competition and stuff. Is it more tempered for you out here? Definitely. Definitely. Well, also, I moved there literally right when the economy crashed yeah. and right when it sort of became really clear that you couldn't really, like, live off books. You know, I moved there. I had just sold the second book, the movie rights for the first book. And, like, you know, I was just like, oh, my life's just going to keep getting better and better. Mm-hmm. And then everything sort of went awry. And I, um, we had that crazy job. Yes, we did. <laughs> we were – it was a f- – fashion website We were allegedly creating the content for a fashion website (laughs) that, to my knowledge, never launched. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw our pieces online. No, and And they were And yet we actually wrote them, that we did interviews. We did interviews. We Oh, remember we, like, tag team interviewed somebody? Yes, who was that? I don't know. Some crazy man. And remember there was a supermodel? Oh, she wasn't a supermodel. There was a model there. She had been on Canadian Top Model. Yes. (laughs) And, so, top and then we got lost in the building. And remember how um, – what's his name? That that famous uh, artist, filmmaker. Oh, God, come on. Um, he's kind of nice. overweight and he owned part of the building and his wife had like a Odette. Oh, oh, Who oh. was that? Who was – Oh, oh God. God. Basquiat. That's, Is that, that who it was? No, it was his – he made that movie. Um, I can't, the guy who made the movie Basquiat, who's an artist. Okay. Oh, Schnabel. What Schna- Julian, yeah, Julian Schnabel? Schnabel. Oh, yeah, that was okay. so satisfying. Okay. Yeah, his his wife had like a clothing company. Had like a d- store. Uh, had like a right? bedding store that no one ever went <laughs> in, including us. Uh huh. Yes. Um. So those were the days. Right, and it was really wintry. So I rem- as much as I say I like winter, that was there was cobblestones and a lot of wetness, and yeah, we were we were paid to write this fashion stuff for this website in. This guy's office slash home, right? <laughs> yes. And um, we made a mostly lot of- we made a lot of videos. Oh, you yes. know why? Because he would need to have a meeting and he would ask us to leave. <laughs> so remember we went to a museum at one point? Yeah, but wasn't it Donna Karen's museum? Maybe. Which is weird. Yeah. Um, yes, but what we did is we were kind of getting into this idea of vlogs. Right, And right. so we would basically, whatever we did, we felt that it merited a video. I feel like maybe we were right. I think we were. We- and what's funny <laughs> is that even though that was four or five years ago and uh-huh. that we made them for like nobody. I mean, Twitter and all that wasn't that big. No, yet. no, yeah. I Even today, when I said, I'm excited to go on Alison Rosen's podcast, two people responded, oh my God, I love those videos you guys made when you had that weird job. Like, I remember that. remember them. They, it was, I, I, 
they were pretty good. They I were mean, good. they were silly. They were very silly, but I feel like there there was some entertainment because I remember I think about this sometimes. We were going to a part if it was maybe Natalie's housewarming party and you wanted to brush your teeth so you used <laughs> yeah, our boss's toothbrush and we made a video about that. And I still feel like that is something I would never do. Right. That, so that could be a just me or anyone else. I would just say. Just me or everyone, yeah. I would say. You would do that again today. You would go use someone. I don't someone. think it's weird to use someone's toothbrush. I mean, first of all, I knew him. But he you was hadn't our made boss. out with him. No, thank God. That but in been a disgusting. way you did because you used his toothbrush. But, but using someone's toothbrush is like, like you're washing it off. Every time. It's sort of like, oh, to me, saying, well, how could you use that person's dish? You didn't make out with them. It's like, well, it was washed. So we're not sharing it. Well, I realize that it's more intimate than knowing that. Knowing that you see it that way, I can see how this happened. Sort of like using someone's hairbrush. Right. right? Which I almost feel like I'd be less likely to do. Really? Because you don't wash it. Yeah. Now, Gary is shaking his head. Way in here. Gary. It's not the same as a dish. <laughs> no, it's not. But but it's similar. Have you ever used someone's toothbrush who you were not sleeping with? No. <laughs> Why would I? Do you think I'm disgusting? No. But I think your justification is hilarious. Okay. Well, that's something. That's something. Um, yeah, I would do it today. I think you just view toothbrushes as less intimate than most, the mo- than most people do. And by most people, I mean the two of you. Who knows if all the listeners right. out there are agreeing with me? Well, they all let us know. <laughs> what if someone used your toothbrush? You'd be like, just totally okay with that? Yeah. Any old person who. Well, no, probably not any old person, but like anybody that would have access to it, as in anybody that I invited into yeah. my home. Okay. Okay. Now, uh, one more memory I just had that, which we, we talked about somewhat recently that party that we went to for. The inauguration? Oh, yeah. Well, well that we, makes it sound like we were in D.C. hanging with Obama. That's not at all what it was. We practically were. We were hanging with <laughs> Justin Rocket Silverman, <laughs> and we went in that photo booth. Oh, my God. Yes. yes. That, what happened is this extremely handsome man. I am still. That was the, that was the best moment of your life. It's it behind was, you. I yeah. still have. Two. I want to say, th- this is how I remember it. Two extremely handsome and tall men. No. One extremely handsome and tall man and his shorter, less attractive okay. pal. S- looked at you mm. and said, oh my God, you're Allison Rosen. And what did they know you from? Red eye. They said, do you still go on red eye? Right. And then I <laughs> found them later, asked if they wanted to take a photo with me. And they did and not? I know they... They agreed to, but like I basically stalked them for the right, rest of the party. Right, you sort of reversed like, the whole like exactly. They should have stalked you, but basically they said like we think you're. He's like I think you're the funniest woman on earth. Oh, and like I, you make that show or something. Like, oh yeah, because he worked at Fox. He, I, I don't remember that part. Yeah, I do. He, I you're think like he, I stalked him, so I know. I think that he worked. He did something in like the international news desk or overnights or whatever. Oh, that's something. Yeah, but then. Not that I put so much work into finding him later, but I happened to show the photo to someone else that I knew at Fox. I was like, have you ever seen this handsome man? And she never had. She was like, yeah, he was that guy posing as a Fox employee. Right. Yeah, um, I don't know whatever happened. I mean, not that I would know whatever happened to him, but no, he was I don't, nice. Do you even remember his name? No. Yeah. It's probably Mike because everyone's named Mike. They really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially everyone there. Yeah. yeah. No, everyone here, though. There's like 15 Mikes that work at yeah. this studio as well. Yeah. Um, I just tweeted this the other day, but I think it's weird that people are allowed to have the same name. Like, 
you know what? This is not does not merit a topic shift. So I would like to actually retract that I took up our no, valuable no, time it's okay. That. No, 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 it's fine. I would like to get off the topic of me stalking this guy who liked me. <laughs> um, but it was a great moment. Yeah, for, and I it always was. thought you were so funny on Red Eye that I stood there and was like, yes, even though I was on Red Eye too. I was just like, yes, she is the funniest thing on oh, Red Eye. So oh, true. thanks. Do you miss going on Red Eye? Um, it. It was fun. I do miss it. I mean, and when I go to New York, I I still go on it, right. which is like once every year or once every two years. Right. Um. I yeah. I, I think I I do miss it. Do you? I always found it kind of stressful. Oh, it always was kind of stressful because it was all very last minute usually. Yeah, and um, and then you know it's interesting. I mean, I'm I'm really fond of Greg, but you know I felt like I took so much heat for sort of being on this conservative mm-hmm. news network and it didn't really represent my values. And um, But I enjoyed it. Yeah. For all that it was the most stressful experience that got me flack, I enjoyed it. <laughs> do you do a lot of TV stuff still? Not really. Um, I, I go I, – I recently went on The Talk, which was really fun. The Talk. Oh. Yes. Oh, I, got, I just had Aisha Tyler on the show. Oh, yeah. She was not in the segment that I did. It was with Sharon Osbourne and um, Julie Chen. That's cool. What, what 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 was your topic? The topic was um, how sex helps you stay healthier, and it was a topic that they came up with, not the two of the women, but the producers, mm-hmm. and then um, had me on to do it. It was so much fun. They were hilarious. Um, but I go on Dr. Drew um, probably more than anything um, to talk about addiction related stuff because that's really my focus mm-hmm. now. Well, I am in love with Dr. Drew. Well, you're working in a convenient place I for know. that. It's nice. Yes, I've been on his show. He's been on mine. We've yet to take it to the next level. But yeah. other than that, um, I do. I am quite a fan of the man. He's and pretty amazing. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a fan too. Mm-hmm. Um, and you – now you had a segment on – I'm just thinking people might know you from Attack of the Show. Yes. Attack of the Show. I was on for three years. Um giving sex dating and relationship advice. And what was funny about it is that I would tape those segments. I would tape like six at a time and I didn't watch the show. And nobody in my real life, nobody I knew, like some of my friends were like, you're on an internet show, right? Like nobody really (laughs) knew about it. And yet it had the most rabid fan base that it sort of is like I would get crazy emails, but it never affected my life at all. Mm -hmm. And that was really fun. I miss it. Wait, so I I just realized we never, you were saying that you, um, you're less competitive and uh, career focused. Those are not the right words out here than you are in New York. And you were starting to say that you moved to New York when the economy attacked. Yes, I mean, but I think also it's like my life was so small in New York that mm-hmm. there was nothing to focus on besides career. Yeah. Whereas, you know, in LA, you know, I have friends that I've had for twenty years. I. Um, my family's from Northern California and, you know, I just it, – it's – I'm so much happier in just breathing this air and I have other things I do. Mm-hmm. So it feels like it's not this just like lonely focus on getting ahead. Right. So you feel like it's more you than the place. Yes. You and your relationship to the place. Mm. So sorry. The most awkward sip of water oh, ever. But um, totally okay. But I don't know. I just think that that I really belong in L.A. This mm-hmm. is where I will live for the rest of my life. And, I, and I'm and i an ever sort of evolving human being. Like I think, you know, the last six months have been really, really hard for me. 
And I feel like I'm coming out of that sort of realizing, you know, I've just always placed so much emphasis on career and, and you know, getting ahead and what does it really matter? I'm just sort of reassessing things. Um, so, you know, at a certain point, it's like before I got sober, I would have been absolutely thrilled to publish a book. The thought of that would have been a dream. And now it's like suddenly when I started doing it, it instead became okay, you did that. Now let's do four more. And it mm-hmm. was like, when am I going to just stop and sort of be satisfied with what I've done? You yeah. Know? When will you? I don't know. Right this moment, maybe. <laughs> we are having an epiphany. Oh, I needed some kind of we are having an epiphany song. Trap dog, get on that. I thought um, you had a song for every thought. I know. We, we found one that I do not have a song for. Yeah, I, uh, I have that sort of wake up in bed wanting to shriek fear of like, holy shit, what if it's all empty? What does it mean? What am I doing? What if the things that I think are going to make me happy aren't? Right. And what if what if that stuff that everyone who seems to be wise says about how really it's just about e- appreciating each day, what if that's true? Because I have it, been throwing them away. <laughs> <laughs> but it is true. I mean, like you said before, you know, you get the thing and that all it makes you want is something else. Yeah. You know, we rarely as human beings sort of stop and go, you know, in our culture, you know, oh, this is just... So great. So it really is, you know, it's not about what happens to us. It's how we react to what happens Mm -hmm. to us. And I know for me, it's like my problems aren't the problem. It's my reactions to my problems that makes everything so much harder. Yeah. Are there patterns that you've noticed in yourself in terms of how you tend to react? I I just, yes, I overreact. That's the pattern, you know. Um, I just, you know, it's sort of a characteristic of alcoholics, but I think it's also just a characteristic of me. I just, you know, I just have big reactions to things. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do too. But then I do this thing where I have this reaction inside and I instantly try to stamp it down because I don't trust Mm. my reactions. Um, I always think like... One of my big things that I've I've been working on for a while is just um, I sort of sense reaction uh, – sense reaction. I sense uh, rejection where it isn't mm-hmm. and I don't see it where it is. Like I'm mm-hmm. just not – my perception – it's like a blind spot for me. I think because it's, it's just about um, taking things too personally. Mm-hmm. So – and I mean especially I remember with guys uh, – you know, thinking that someone liked me who didn't, and mm-hmm. then if someone did, and then when someone did, not being able to perceive it correctly, it's just I think just sort of my sense of self is just. I'd like to say it's much better now. Well, but it's something. It's something I work on. Right, right. I mean, I do think, and I was thinking about this when we were just talking about L.A. versus New York. Like, you, from the outsider's perspective, your life got so much better when you moved here. Oh, and from inside myself, it did too. Right. <laughs> But like so yeah but so I I relate to that to just sort of knowing your perceptions off mm-hmm. and but I think that's good that you sort of tr- like sort of tamp down the reaction I mean I have these big reactions and I don't you know I don't curb it right and then I end up sort of having to apologize or feel embarrassed about having this reaction or I just end up like f- stressing myself out needlessly mm-hmm. you know Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I for me, the tamping down the reaction is it's sort of this it's a, it's a second guessing myself thing. Um, and 
it makes it so that I, when I do want to react to something, it's just sort of out of joint with the time that the thing happened usually. Right. Like I just feel like I'm a step behind. But I can see where – that's good. Well, I can see where from your – like if, if if your problem is that you overreact and act out at the time and say things that you wish you hadn't said or wish you had calmed down, I can see where having this – being overly cautious would would be like – it's like somewhere in the middle is what right, we need. Right, right. You want your reaction I need the, sped up. Yeah, like I need to give myself permission to actually react in the moment right. or, or react at all and then you need right. to sort of – Slow down. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. I think that's true. Let's become one person. (laughs) One perfect person. Who has the perfect reactions to everything. And the perfect couch. And the perfect couch. I really admired that you made me go on a tour of New York of the couches because I just make spontaneous decisions. And I'm just like, oh, that one's fine. I'll take that one. And then are you happy with your decisions, though? Yes, usually. Okay. Yeah, this comes up a lot on here, my my whole thing with decisions, because – I get so caught up in just the the most minute, stupid thing. I'm like, but maybe this is better. Maybe this is better. Maybe this is better. Maybe this is better, which is insane. And so I'm actually getting better at just being like, which do I like better? I'm going to do that. But it's taking me a while. So you – you, I'm very decisive, I would say. I don't have that. Do you belabor any decision? No. And again, we could be a perfect person if we were made into one because I think I I am too quick to decide on things. I sort of – Assume that whatever, you know, I sort of believe that everything happens the way it's meant to and like whatever's right in front of me is the thing I'm meant to do or get. Hmm. And but and and this has not been working out for you though? <laughs> <laughs> That's I, I I'm unclear. Okay. I mean, I think for the most part it does work. Right. Yeah. So then that's good. So maybe it's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about um the Kindle single. Yeah. That is currently – well, you have a few Kindle singles, right? I have two. Okay. Yes. Um, I had Animal Attraction, which was about my uh, obsessive relationship with my cats. And then this new one is called They Like Me, They Really Like Me. And it was it's about how I uh, tried and tried and tried to have a celebrity boyfriend and what I ultimately learned about myself as a result of those efforts. And I detail dates with bold-faced names. And Goldblum. Okay. <laughs> I don't name names. Um, you know, Ernest Goldblum. Ernest Goldblum. The famous banker. The famous banker. I didn't write about that. But he um, – that anecdote is not in there actually. But um, some others are and it's um, it's a good book that people should buy and it's only $1.99 and if they buy it from your site, mm-hmm. that's Then it helps better. out the show. Yes. Yeah. I need to read it. You do. How long is a single? A, they're very short. Um, that one is I believe it's like – 32 pages on a Kindle. Mm-hmm. So, um, short. So what did you what did you learn without stepping on your story? What did you learn from trying to date celebrities or having a famous boyfriend? Well, I think that I learned that uh, that happiness does not lie there either and that, you know, I sort of, you know, Matt Damon was my college boyfriend. And so th- I have forgotten about that. Yes. That's exciting. So that was exciting 20 years ago. And the fact that I'm still talking about it is questionable. And like, <laughs> but what it really did when they first became super successful is I was like, oh, well, I need to do that again. You know, mm-hmm. and I, I think I was so insecure that I thought attaching myself to someone famous and showing, like, this person who could have anybody in the world picked me. Like, I thought I really needed that. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I sort of it's not that I put myself in terrible situations, but I just sort of would go out on dates with these famous people and um, feel, not Ernest Goldblum, who was very sweet, but I would feel like very, um, you know, like just I was treated badly and I would I would put up with it because I'm like, oh, this person's famous. And that's not respectful to myself or them because yeah. I was sort of just fetishized. I was using right, them. Right, right. You, you didn't know? see them for them. Yes. The, while we've been talking, I've been trying to think of other – I'm not going to say names if you don't want me to, of the other famous people that I know that you dated. And then I just remembered a story. Which story? Can you say it without names? The guy, he, he had a uh, drug and alcohol problem and showed up at your apartment, right? Like, okay. late, real, I guess that could be anyone. <laughs> kind well, of. not that many people kind of, show up. I think he came to New York and um, he While we live were here. living there? Yeah. He came to New York and he like showed up uh, late at night. <laughs> I could really be anyone. Who the hell is that? No, but I mean, my life is so boring. Um, I who showed up late at night? Okay, you'll tell me off air. Um, so, oh, yeah, yeah. So I was asking you. I was asking you what you learned about yourself, and you learned that it's you're you weren't uh, you weren't treating them fairly. You were fetishizing them. Well, and that and that ultimately it was saying that I didn't believe I could ever do something that would make me feel good. You know, mm-hmm. I remember my mom said to me the day after Matt and Ben won the Oscar, just imagine you'll be able to tell your grandchildren that you dated him. And I feel like that comment haunted me for like 15 years where I was just like, that's the most important thing I'm going to have done in my life. <laughs> and... Yeah, I think that I think that's just sort of realizing what we've been talking about, this idea that like even getting to the apex of a field or whatever doesn't bring ultimate happiness, you know, that it's sort of an internal journey. Yeah, so what does bring it? Well, Finding inner – just inner peace? Inner peace and lots of other boring stuff. I mean I think like ultimately like a lack of – like – sort of less interest in yourself. I think the yeah. more focused we are on ourselves, the more miserable we are mm-hmm. because, you know, like we're obsessing over ourselves. We're going to find bad things. So I think like learning to focus on other people, something I'm not that great at, but I try. No, I I, I think you're right. I know that I can just be in the worst mood and like, oh, I don't want to have to do this. Or, like I find that when I know that I have something social coming up that day, usually – I'm feeling resistant to it. Like I just I I just want to sit here and just do my own whatever like and then when I do it afterwards I always feel better. Always. Yeah. yeah. I mean I think that it's it's like that what I'm talking about, you know, but I think like all the 12 step stuff is sort of based on this premise that like by being of service to other people you actually make yourself feel better. Um but oh, one thing I would love to talk about, by mm-hmm. the way, is my storytelling show that you did. Yes, True Tales of Love and Lust. Lust and Love. Lust and Love. And how you're going to come back and do it again. Yes. And the – but well, I've told you why I haven't though. It has to do with my feeling like I don't have a story. But maybe now that I'm writing I know, regularly, that's what I will I be able thought. to generate. I know. I, that occurred to me as I was driving over here today. So let's talk about that because you are able – to get so many awesome guests that I'm not complimenting myself. I did the first I think maybe You did the very first one. The very one. first one. Yes. Yeah. But since then I look and I'm like, holy cow, look at all these amazing people you're getting. But they're the same people that do your podcast. Like it's, it's Oh yeah, I get amazing people too. Oh, I see. <laughs> no, I, it has been such a great experience. I mean, basically I started that uh reading series and storytelling show because 
I had published my memoir or HarperCollins had published my memoir and then sort of like I didn't I wanted to read it out loud. Mm -hmm. And And what was the name of that? Falling for me. Okay. And I um, basically nobody wants to go to readings, especially here in L.A. You know, they're like, what? I have to go to a bookstore, traffic and I have to buy the book and all this stuff. And so I basically realized, well, if I called it a storytelling show um, and invited like other really funny women to come do it, then people would would want to do it. And I was right. And they'll actually pay eight dollars to go. And so you do you still do it at the Mint? I do it every the second Saturday of every month at the Mint. And it's, you know, comedians like Jackie Cation and Jen Kirkman. And Maria and I, Bamford, I had right? Maria Bamford. Um, and then writers like Jillian Lauren and Gigi Lavangi and um, Samantha Dunn and, like, amazing people. A bunch of people who would be great on here, actually. And so, yeah, and it's really great because I feel like that whole part of me that was so competitive – really gets nourished by this, like, all these really funny, talented women. Um, you know, their their talent and their success is sort of mine because mm-hmm. it's in my show. It, it's just all very – it's great. And, and the book is coming out, and that's what I want to talk to you about. Oh, I did not know that. I sold the book. Congratulations. Thank you. I sold it for about three pennies. <laughs> um, it, but, it, but it's coming out from a very, like, small but very, you know, reputable publisher uh, on uh, – next valentine's day oh that's very exciting Mm -hmm. that's super cool do you have plans to like what what are the plans for this show are you trying to you're you're making a book from it but i just i think of you as enterprising right i think of you as someone who um yeah enterprising so i I could imagine you you turning it into um something on ice (laughs) (laughs) i have have made efforts to turn it into things. And uh, the only thing I've been successful at so far is the book. But I have talked to different people about doing sort of web series things. Um, And I don't know. I mean, it may more end up being just a sort of fun hobby kind of a thing Mm -hmm. Um, that, like I said, I feel like really like heals me um, and is really fun. And it gives me performance experience because I speak at colleges and um, about addiction and I didn't have much actual stage experience and so every month I have to sort of do something that's as good as some of the best people in the business and so that is this kind of like teaching tool but yeah I mean I I'd make it into you know whatever it could be but I just don't you know here's my thing Mm -hmm. this is my 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 beef storytelling people will come and they'll read their stories wonderful so i printed out my story and i came and i read it yeah and i was like everyone else here they're holding binders but they clearly have this thing it's like stand-up they have it worked out I, and i, I think know. i had joked that probably when they look down there's just a, a, a headshot of them <laughs> giving themselves a thumbs up there's no way they're reading it i don't know why they're holding a binder i know these women are so good at that I keep falling for it, too. Yeah. Every time I'm like, oh, well, she reads every time. But it's like, is she reading or is that just a prop? It's a prop. <laughs> There's no way. But the thing that's really interesting is that some people actually just read and then some people Perform. don't even have the notes. Right. And then some people do that in-between thing yeah. that I agree is very impressive. And they're all good. It's not like any one is better than the other. And that, I think, is fascinating. For me – and this is not about that. This is about memorizing something. I have realized from an, from enough 
bad auditions or maybe just a few that scarred me. Either something is memorized or it's not for me. Like the idea of I'll just have notes and I'll look down. That only I, – I would go into auditions with something like like semi – I'm like familiarized with it but I don't really know it. And the minute the like adrenaline kicks in, I absolutely don't know it at all. Right. So I – the thing with notes is like I have to have it memorized – and then if I lose my place, I can remind myself with it. But this thing of being like, oh, it's semi-memorized, right. I don't know if that exists. Certainly doesn't for me. It do- it's really, really hard for me, too. And the the, the months that I've been like, I'm going to wing it, like I'm going to learn this more, have been the most disastrous. The second only to the time I decided to have no notes. Oh. I was just going to be a quote-unquote performer. And all I can say is like I never did it again. What happened? It just was – I don't know. I just sort of <laughs> – it was hard and, you know, I, I sort of thought it went well and I got off the stage and nobody really said anything to me, which is just the absolute yeah. worst ever. And then each each uh, show is recorded and when I heard the podcast, I sort of – of it – it's not really a podcast. It's just a recording mm-hmm. of the show. I basically said like about 6,000 <laughs> times and I just – figured I may be better when I have the pages in front of me. Now, did you do it at Soho House recently? I did. This has come up as something on the podcast that, wait, Gary, you don't want to go to Soho House. You've been to Soho House. It was Elizabeth Lame who wanted who to go. Who did my show. Oh, yeah. She's great. Yeah, she's really funny. I like her podcast, too. Yes, me too. Um, I but heard the, your episode. Oh, thank you. Yeah, but no, she's been there. Maybe I'm the only one who's like- You've never been? I've never been. Come with me anytime. I'm a member. Done. Yeah. Okay. Let's go now. Fuck this. Oh, I can't say that. No, you can. Oh, but you I can didn't totally mean say that. Fuck. I'm much happier to be here than I would be Thank at Soho you. House. Yeah. Yes. I just meant you can – yeah, no, you can't say that sentiment. You can definitely use Say the, that word. Say, fuck, okay. though. Would you go all the time? I don't go all the time. I was a member in New York. Did you – No, I never I went. I think – yeah. So I Oh, can... no, I know. You You wanted to join. And I remember I we met some guy who taught French who had something to do with it. Who taught French? Who taught French? Oh, like that guy – the French guy I dated? Yeah. Right? Yeah, um, no, no, that's a different French guy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, no, I don't remember a French teacher, but that sounds sexy. No, I did join in New York. Um, I wanted to, and then I did. And I really liked it because I lived in such a small apartment, and I was writing my memoir, and I wanted to be able to go somewhere that wasn't like a shoebox and mm-hmm. write. And um, and then when I moved to, back to L.A., I sort of thought, oh, it's kind of pretentious here, and who cares? And so I let my membership go, and then I thought, I'm pretentious, and I care. <laughs> so I started my membership again. And it's fun. Oh, well, I, uh, yeah, I definitely have got to check this out at some point, even though I'm a very down to earth person who doesn't like pretentious she-she things. Neither do I. If that makes me more likable, I don't at all. (laughs) Um, I think it's time to do some Just Me or Everyone. But the mics are still hot. I love that song. Thank you to uh, Tom Rapp for making it. Yeah, Trap Dog. Okay. Go Team Yay says, when I see smoke in the distance while driving, I try to triangulate where my house is and dread maybe that's what's on fire. Um, I don't do that one specifically, but my original Just Me or Everyone example was that when I was walking and I saw an ambulance driving down the street, I always worried that it was headed to my house because my house might be on fire. My oh, I sort of am the opposite. When I had a driving test, um, an ambulance was behind me and I didn't pull over on my driving test and I still passed. Wow. 
How did you pass? Did I you don't you charmed know. the driver? No, I, I mean think the, the teacher. teacher. I think they'll give licenses to almost anybody. Um, I, yeah, I always think that the ambulances are just like full of movie stars trying to get to set, and I don't believe they're ever real emergencies. <laughs> Is that weird? That's a real just me or everyone. Okay, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, the real Cormay says. When I walk out of the store with toilet paper, I feel everyone looking at me says, there he goes. He can't stop pooping. <laughs> That's funny. Um, I actually, I'm strangely totally okay with buying toilet paper, except when I lived in New York, I would, um, there's a, sorry, there's a weird ringing in my ears. Are you hearing that, Gary? Okay. It's just, it's all the empty space in there. Draft got in there. Um. I would buy the uh, like the whatever was on sale that had you know nine or sixteen rolls or something, and then they don't have like, you can't just put it in your trunk, and they don't right. have they never have bags that fit. Right. So then you you're just walking down the, down the street. street with like a big big old thing of toilet paper under your arm, and then I would feel a little. But don't you think because we're women, and so we use toilet paper for things that are not disgusting. Sorry, we pee using yes, it as well. It doesn't true. seem as much like a disgusting thing. Oh, I hadn't thought about that. It's a good point, though. Yeah, no, it's a really good point because for him, it definitely is all yeah. about poop. For yeah. us, it could be myriad things. Could be blowing our nose. Exactly. Yeah. It could be removing our makeup. Yeah. 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 So it's more okay. Um, Rob Jones says, when getting groceries out of my car, I'll overload my left arm with like 50 bags and grab like three bags with my right. Um, I, uh, I've noticed... Well, no, my just me or everything grocery thing is the – but I don't do this. But I've noticed Daniel does this. Having to take all the bags in one trip. It's like just – you could do another trip. But no, Gary is the same way. Is that a, is it a, a man thing? Taking them from the store or from, from the, the car, car? From the car. No, fuck that. That's – let's get that done in one even if it does fuck your arm up. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's not a man live, thing. Don't you guys live on a second floor? Yes. Oh, fuck those stairs. I'm only traversing that bullshit once even if I fall over. Oh, well, all right. I, I would do it, too. I try to get them all at once. I mean, I do, too, but I just occasionally, if something d- demands a second trip, I will do it. But you're two people. So do you buy so much food that it's too much for two people? No, it's too much for one person, and I hold oh. the keys. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite things of living with someone. And I'm sure it's one of his, too. He loves it. One time I said, let me help, and he said, No. I'm just kidding. That never happened. All right. Hugo Chavez says, whenever someone ends his or her point with whatever, I hear it as, I don't give a shit what you feel or think about it. Oh, interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of any of that. I-, I could see where whatever would sound like that. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. But um, I, don't, I don't feel like – do people end their points with whatever a lot? I mean, I, I can you give not, me an example? I'm trying to think. Um, you know, or whatever. Would that be it? <laughs> I don't know if that's what he means. Probably not, because that that just sounds like I'm being inarticulate. It does, which yeah. would never happen. So it was sometimes it does. No, but thank you, no. Lo- loving that. Um, all right, Hugo Chavez. We're going to need a little more information about the whatever. All right, Boudoir Babe says plucking my eyebrows makes me sneeze, especially the hairs between my eyebrows. No, it doesn't make me sneeze. Um, although, I'm trying to think if I have any sort of, uh, I feel like occasionally I make my eyes water. You? It does not make me sneeze. 
Um, and it it doesn't really make my eyes water. But do you remember how you complimented my eyebrows? I sure do. <laughs> I do. And I still feel this way. Because I was like, so you must be the kind of person who's like, oh, I go to someone and I get them threaded or whatever. And you no. said that you do it yourself. I do it myself. Well, the thing is I, I did so much waxing of my eyebrows in the, my 20s that they sort of stayed permanently perfect. They are. You have perfect, wonderful brows. Thank you. I, I try. I mean, I don't. I guess that's my point. But yeah. at least it's good to have one perfect thing. <laughs> Bryant Rich, when I drive by a cornfield, apple orchard, cow, what bucolic place are you living in? <laughs> when I drive by a cornfield, apple orchard, cow pasture, et cetera, I think, I wonder if I've ever eaten food from there. No, I've never had that. I feel like occasionally driving up north, up to Northern California, you'll, I'll pass some kind of food field. But I've never even thought, I wonder if I've ever had that I've never cabbage. had that thought, ever. <laughs> Gary? Gary hasn't, I bet. Sorry, I was trying to tell you that he's from Seattle. Um, no, that's never occurred to me. What's I've never been to Seattle. Me neither. <gasps> but That's a, just me. Gary, have you been? No, Three people months. who've never, I know. And it's so close. We should go there and go to Soho House on the way. Um <laughs> But in Portlandia, do you have you ever seen that show? Oh, I love Portlandia. The, I've only seen one episode, and it's the one where they're like, "Well, where is this chicken from?" And oh, they yeah. go to the farm right. and they start working on it. That's what his thing reminded me of. Right. I guess that's how Seattle is. It's a podcast. Says when I hear a car alarm, I beatbox to make a song. I don't. When I hear a car alarm, I think, oh, "Is that my car? Fuck, is that my car? No, it's not." That's I think, what I always I think. I think they still have car alarms. That's what I do. Your car doesn't have any kind of alarm thing? No. Car alarms are sort of like a remnant of the 90s, are they not? My car is a remnant of the 90s. <laughs> are you a remnant of the 90s? A little bit. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wait. So wait. This is fascinating. They don't put car alarms in cars anymore? Well, am I That's so smart. Not, with me? They really, really. don't because I mean, they didn't help. Yeah. They're just annoying. I yeah. would imagine something might happen if you shattered one of my windows, maybe. But like you're not going to – I've rocked my car really hard and it was locked and nothing happens. Like, you're not going to set an alarm off on accident in a parking lot anymore. Whereas it used to be, I feel like, if you just sneeze the wrong way. Yeah. Do you, so you don't have this button that I have? I have a panic button on my keychain that I accidentally press and it sets off my car. I have had that happen. But I it doesn't, it. but it doesn't, like, I can't do it willingly. I mean, I can't, I, I can't turn an alarm on. I just can turn on that panic thing. Oh, yeah. No, I can't either. I, I don't have that, um, I can't turn it on. It just is on. It's just automatic. Okay. My old car was like that, where there was a panic button, and when you locked it, the alarm just went on. My new yeah. car doesn't have a panic button. Hmm. I, so I don't know. The difference between my car and a car made in now or five, even five years before now has got to be so huge. Like, my car has a CD player. It oh, has no computerized anything, and I hate it. It's so <laughs> weird when you jump to a, like, it's some, something out of the last seven years. <laughs> It's so crazy. I'm so excited. Oh, you're going to be on my on my away. list of things to do is test drive cars because I'm I'm at that point. Do you know where, where you're going to get? I don't. Oh God, I'd hate to see what you're like. It's awful. To get a car. <laughs> I, oh, there's like seven different types of yeah. cars I need to test you're drive. Never gonna it's get, you're never going to get. You're never going to get one. You're never going to get one. It's been so long, right? Since I've even driven a car that isn't mine, that I I have to start from scratch. I got a Fiat. I really like it. Really. Why yeah, did I think you had a Prius? Because I did have a Prius, okay. and I didn't like it at all. And I sort of thought that I had to, like, wait the lease out, and mm. then I went into a Fiat place just to look, and I walked out with the Fiat. That's the kind of decision-making I want to make. 
Yeah. Well, let me teach you how. You really how. went just to look? I went to look. I was in Palm Springs over Christmas, and I was with my friend, and I said, oh, I love those Fiat's. They're so cute. Let's go test drive one. And so I your didn't... criteria was cute? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay. I'm a I'm real girl. Still. I'm uh-huh. a real girl. And we walked in, and basically they, like, will not – like, if you walk in – be warned. If you okay. walk in to test drive a car these days, they'll basically, like, you are not getting out of there until they make a deal. They made such a good uh. deal. They're like, we'll take over your lease. We'll do this. We'll do that. And so, I yeah, I drove back from Palm Springs in a new car. How exciting. It well, really wait, was. Hold on. Yes. Don't get that intimidated because when I was test driving cars <laughs> – straight up. When I was test driving cars, I was, like, amazed by it. I went to four different dealerships from four different companies – Walked in, walked up to a guy and said, I want to test drive that car. He took me on a test drive. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go test drive something else. I'll see you later. Well, and sh- they didn't say a fucking no, word. No, true. Oh, I should clarify that basically they made me an offer I couldn't refuse. Right. But right. if you make it clear to them yes. that you're not buying today, that you're, you're shopping, they won't fuck with but you. But maybe you shouldn't make it clear. Maybe this is the way you're going to make the decision. Now, what if I roll up in my hunk of shit? Are they going to size me up as – What do you think I was rolling up in? No. Yeah, no. But that's good. You want them to think you have no money. I feel like that's what my car screams. I've, this is <laughs> good. Here's this is the embarrassing thing. Here's why I've decided it is now finally time to get rid of this piece of crap. Because I'm in when we go to Amalfi, and that's we do live Adam Carolla podcast uh-huh. there each Where's, week. Um, um, that sounds on, like Italy. It's La Brea. It's La Brea just before second. Oh yeah, I live right there. It's I've right seen next that to place. the Acme it, Theater. But is that a restaurant? Space? It's a restaurant. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And there's a performance space upstairs. Okay. But that's not where we perform. <laughs> we no, we perform in the restaurant. You yeah. perform in the restaurant? Yeah. That's uh-huh. the weirdest thing they, I've ever They heard. shut it down and make it a, a We a have a stage venue. that we like build there. And yeah. Oh, fun. It's great. Come I, out every Wednesday. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. I literally live down the street. You should come out. Well, yeah. so anyway, at the end, when they pull my car around and then there's a bunch of fans, uh, fans they, I they feel, feel sorry for you. They haven't said that, but I always feel really embarrassed to they get into that you're car really and down drive away. I hope that's what they think. Yeah. But yeah, I become imba- – it's like – Right. This is a roundabout way of saying this. So the dog that my parents had, the dog that we had Toby. growing up – That's the dog they still have. Okay. Woofy. <laughs> <laughs> Woofy was a black miniature poodle. And I always thought Woofy was so puppyish for so long that when he was 15, 16, 17 – I still thought of him as young and puppyish. However, he had become an old dog who I think had cataracts and he, he had some warts on his face and he just was, um, you know, eventually incontinent. Just a, a real old dog. And that's what your car is like. Well, but I would forget that that's – I remember someone met him and went, <laughs> I think I just looked into the face of pure evil. And I was like, but this cute woofy. And then I looked and I'm like, oh, I see what you're saying. To me, he was just puppyish, young, vibrant, cute woofy, not this like old kind of – frightened looking dog my car i still think of it as a puppy but it's like a hunk of shit that's embarrassing and also i don't clean it i i've just stopped caring caring at all about doing anything like adam told me that he, it looks like my tires need air and i should get them rotated right, and i'm like just can't be i i don't want i know i need to especially because he told me and now i feel like i'm like i feel like it's car information from Adam because he knows cars know. so well. It's really it's it's like really helpful and valuable, and I don't want to be that person who's ignoring it. But I just want to get a new car instead, right, so I'll probably right. die in an accident because I'm not handling my tires. Well. Yeah, it's your tires like fall off your car. Right. Anyway, so Fiat. Yeah, so I've got a list of like seven different cars I want to test drive, and that just sounds like a real pain in the ass. It does, which is why I just went in and bought mine. All right. Chuat says, my brain always pronounces numbers as numbers when they're used as letters, e.g. numbers in the, the 
three, the E is three. Num three. Oh, I see. He, pre- I see. So if 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 numbers has a the three in it, he says num threeers or seven. He says to seven. <laughs> I do that with to seven. I don't do that with num threeers because I've I've never seen num threeers. But I totally yes, I am totally with you. I sound out weird things. I do weird things with letters. I am so on your wavelength. I don't do that at all. I don't relate to any of these. But I That's do. Okay. But I do when I say a person's name. I do spell it out in my head. You know Always? what I mean? Yeah. Automatically, like so. Do you spell that correctly or incorrectly? No, I sp- I'm obsessed with correct spellings. I think mm-hmm. so. It's like if so- okay, if this is a, like if somebody's name is spelled differently than it's pronounced, like the name Seamus. Oh, Seamus. I will say Seamus because right. I'm picturing how it's spelled. Oh, how do you feel about Sh- Siobhan? I feel when it's very, Siobhan. <laughs> very uncomfortable. With yeah, it. yeah, for that reason. It's weird that we just sign off on that. Like I'm okay totally with S I O B H A N being. Siobhan. Right. That's not okay. No. I think we should take a stand. What about Sean? C H A N. Yeah. I mean, I. No, S E A N. As a. Yes. Yeah. S E A. I mean, I've learned. That one is obviously like a more comfortable than that in right. the Siobhan business. But. I know. Get this. So you're sitting down. Yeah. I know. And Arissa. A R R I S S I A. Arissia. That's crazy. But it's Arissa because she said that her mom wanted her to have two of each letter in her name. It's child abuse, I think. It's like Noah's Ark with letters. It's crazy. I know. Um, we didn't have a chance to tell anyone to go fuck themselves, but I f- and we, we, we're running out of time. But I think if you want to quickly tell someone to go fuck themselves, do you? Do you? There was a comment you got. There was a comment maybe. on a recent story I did where, where I was accused of being passive aggressive. That's it. Doesn't feel there are so many people I would like to go tell to fuck themselves, but um, but it's too much pressure. Okay, I don't think that person deserves it. No, they never do. They don't. I, well, I mean, who do you want to tell? I don't have anyone presently, but I often have a lot of people, and then sometimes I just feel like I need a blanket. Hey, go fuck yourself to just the people who might be thinking anything shitty about me or us or this podcast or Gary or. Definitely, if they're thinking anything about Gary, I got your back. That's right. Yeah. So let's just tell them. Hey, 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 go fuck yourself. Anna David, it was so much fun having you on the show. This was so much fun. Thank you for coming on. Um, Remind people again where they can find you and and what of yours they should check out. Well, okay. I have a website, AnnaDavid.com. I'm on Twitter at AnnaDavid. And you finally got it because someone, some other Anna David had oh it. Oh my God, that was such an ordeal. And she would always get mad because I had Anna B. David uh-huh. and she would always like tweet at people, you mean Anna David? Anyway, she got married and she emailed me and she was like, I'm going to give you my former name. That's so nice. It was so nice. And so now I have it. Yes. And I guess my website has everything, you know, mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm doing. And buy my Kindle single. Yes, they like, they like me. me. They, they really, really like, like me. me. And that you can – I will have a link on the blog post so you can get to that. Um, and uh, if you don't go that way, why not click the Amazon banner on my website, alisonrosen.com, to buy anything – Especially that, but also other stuff. Toilet paper, let's say, or what have you. Uh, it doesn't cost you anything extra, but it helps out the show. And you can follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. You can follow Gary at G. Patrick Smith. You can follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-N-B-F. And also check out True Tales of Lust and Love. Love and Lust. I'm Lust, Lust and, and Love. love. Yes, that, that's actually a website, truetalesoflustandlove.com. Okay. Yes. Go there. Yes. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for having super me. super fun. All right. Thank you for listening, you guys. I love you. 